0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. If you're local to the San Francisco Bay Area, UP Academy, our progressive elementary school, is now enrolling for fall of 2022. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Abby Fallick. She is an award-winning social entrepreneur, the founder of Global Citizen Year, and an expert on social innovation and the changing landscape of education. Labeled the number 1 place to work in the US by Outside Magazine who personally, I think, is one of the highest authorities in the country. Global Citizen Year is a nonprofit using the power of global immersion between high school and college to unlock curiosity, conviction, and courage in our next generation leaders. Welcome, Abby. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk with you, too. You've been involved with travel and education and nonprofits for most of your career, And you pulled those three things together to create and build Global Citizen Year. How did you utilize your background and experience? And what challenge were you looking to solve with launching Global Citizen Year?
1: Well, the origins go way, way back. And the interest and connection to travel, education, and social impact work hasn't just been my career's focus, it's actually been, you know, from the time I was a kid and had opportunities to travel with my parents who decided that that was the highest form of our education and memories of my experience in high school. I was at a fairly homogenous, elite private high school and felt quite antsy by the lack of diversity and the lack of connection to neighboring communities. So was quick to forge a partnership with neighboring organizations to find ways that we could be exchanging students across different types of high schools and then later spending time on my own in in Latin America. All of it helped me see that the learning that I was doing that I found most impactful and formative was not the learning that was happening in my classroom experiences. And specifically, I took a year off between years of college and spent the year living and working in Latin America. And it was the most important part of my education. And when I came back, I was at Stanford. I petitioned for my year of real-world experience to camp for credit, which they gave me. But I think that was some of the insight that sort of, I think of entrepreneurial paths as a slow cook, not just a sudden eureka moment. But there were seeds that dropped at various stages, all of which led to this vision for a reimagined life stage for young people on the cusp of adulthood.
0: So I've heard of the Australian version of Walkabout. So they take a year between high school and college and travel around the world. How is this, you know, similar or different to just a regular travel experience? Or how are you including other educational aspects into the travel that your students are doing?
1: So we catch kids as they're finishing high school and still making decisions about what comes next. And we give them access to a community of peers, to a curriculum, to some form of global experience that stretches their sense of themselves in the world, gives them a clearer sense of their values and the kind of impact they want to have. And broadly, the vision is to build a movement around this concept similar to a walkabout or There are other traditions and religions around the world that have fixated on this life stage. You're 18 and you're still forming your sense of yourself. You haven't fixed your values or identity yet, but you have the maturity to leave home. And we blow by that transition in the U.S. in some race towards some elusive finish line, getting kids through college as quickly as possible, but to what end? And so the real instinct here is how do we give every young person an opportunity to recognize that the path they thought they were on is not actually a path, that the treadmill is high speed, but it's in their imagination and that there's an opportunity to get off and change course on their own terms. And how do we do that in a way really significant to us is that these opportunities become more accessible. So historically, what we've known as a gap year, which is sort of a tradition that comes from the UK primarily, has been reserved for privileged young people whose families can support them to have a year of exploration and travel. And what we're after is something that's more focused on access for any young person who is high potential with determined hope for how the future can look different than the present and finding resources to make this kind of rite of passage a common and shared experience.
0: Love to dig a little deeper into that. And here how you're reaching that population and also how you're making it more accessible. And it's somewhat dear to my heart in that I was that kid. I grew up below the poverty line. We couldn't afford to do anything. I desperately wanted to travel. I got accepted into a travel abroad program and had to decline because I couldn't figure out how to pay for it. And in similar to you, then forged my own way. In my university and went and studied dance for a semester and talked my college into giving me credit for it so that I could use my student loans, which is how then I figured out how to do it in the country, but still couldn't raise the funds to get out of the country. So how are you working with that? And how are you working with those students who are lower income, but who this could really benefit? So there are a number of
1: barriers and you described them. You know, the first is financial. So we're set up as a not-for-profit and I spend most of my time raising money toward a scholarship fund and we've raised and deployed more than $30 million in scholarships, need-based scholarships for students from lower income backgrounds who need support in paying the tuition in order to participate. So really proud the whole team feels like one of our points of pride is that 80% of our participants receive significant need-based financial aid and And over half of our alums are Pell Grant knowledgeable when they get to college, just to give you a sense of the demographic. So, you know, there's a financial barrier, but there's also just a sort of cultural expectation barrier as well, where historically experiences like this have been and frankly continue to be very expensive and not particularly accessible to kids who haven't seen themselves represented. And we knew from the beginning. So when we were founded in 2010, we built our first cohort to be as reflective of our population across different metrics of diversity as possible. And I think by building a cohort that was diverse at the outset, and then being able to model that year on year so that future students could look to our group and say, ah, I can see myself in that group, has been very helpful in continuing to build what I think is the most diverse cohort across geographic, socioeconomic, racial, and ethnic lines that you could possibly find when you're an 18-year-old finding your way in the world.
0: Incredible. Do you find any sort of barrier with the travel itself? And I'm I'm referring to non-COVID times, but thinking about us as Americans, we don't tend to leave the country. I want to say one of the statistics I saw was only somewhere between 20 and 30% of Americans even held a passport the idea of even traveling and leaving the country is so, well, foreign to a lot of people. Do you see that as one of the barriers as well? Or do you find that your students are really eager for that opportunity and to go see someplace really new and different? Gen Z
1: is more globally oriented than any prior generation. Their media, their social media, their sense of the world and our interconnections are global in context and reach and there's a an innate sense of our interconnectedness. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is sees themselves getting on a plane and and having an international experience. What's been so exciting over the last now almost 2 years in covid times where we've not been able to send our young people out through our traditional fellowship which was an immersive experience in Asia, Africa and Latin America. It's forced us to rethink the delivery model of everything we were doing historically. And when the pandemic hit, we knew that we weren't going to just sit on the sidelines, but that we had developed a model that could help countless, literally countless numbers of young people around the world whose lives and educational journeys have been so disrupted. And so we reoriented around what's become our academy, which is an opportunity for young people to come together to learn about themselves and the world through a curriculum and coaching and mentorship and a really stellar speaker series where they're interacting directly with some of the world's most inspiring leaders across different industries and sectors. We've had Melinda Gates, Deepak Chopra's leading a session tomorrow, Ariana Huffington, Sundar Pichai, Ray McKesson, and putting young people in proximity with leaders who inspire them and deconstructing those leadership journeys to help them understand that Nobody had it all figured out when they were 18, that every journey happens and fits and starts and looks much more like a jagged line than a straight line or maybe a spiral. But that there is, there's a myth that we propose that says you should have your purpose and passion figured out by the time you're 18, which I think can do such a disservice to a young person. So your question was, are there barriers around travel? And what's been really thrilling is to see that when we are inviting students to join this community, virtually, we've been able to open up access to young people from around the world. And so as we look to the future, we will be merging what we've learned from the academy with what our traditional fellowship looked like, because there's nothing that replaces you know, real world experience. And at the same time, there's an enormous amount that can be learned by being in community and in a cohort with young people from countries you might not have even heard of.
0: Many schools and organizations talk about 21st century skills or soft skills. You talk a lot about power skills to unlock agency and empathy and global fluencies. So how do your participants use and grow their power skills through their experience?
1: Well, we call them power skills because I hate the dismissive way that we have framed these skills as softer, meaning lesser, meaning easier to develop and maybe less important than the more hard skills that have historically been the focus of our education system and easier to measure the outcomes of. So we actually reframe this. We're now talking about the real skills, R E A L for the 21st century. And those are R resilience, E for empathy, A agency, and L for leadership. And resilience means learning that you can fall down and get back up. It's learning through failure. With failure, with fear accompanying you. Empathy is about connecting across lines of difference and recognizing that you likely have much more in common than not with people that you might not have otherwise reached out to. Agency is knowing your power and that you don't have to wait for permission or follow somebody else's path. And leadership we define as a practice and not a position. The idea that there's no arrival point for leaders. There's no title or salary or place you get when you are suddenly somehow told that you have now made it as a letter, but that leadership becomes a practice that you begin as soon as you know that your actions and behaviors have the potential to impact people around you. And so how do you learn to practice curiosity, to practice courage, to practice living in a way that aligns your values with your convictions? So those are the things that are baked into everything we teach through our program at Global Citizen Year.
0: It's one of the things that we start teaching our five-year-olds with empathy and those pieces of leadership is how do my feelings and my actions affect the way the people around us feel and act? And what do I need to do to make them more comfortable? Or what can I ask them to do to make me more comfortable? Or you know, how can we all live together in community? you talk a lot about social impact and courage and the purpose of education. What is your biggest hope or the biggest gift that you hope participants take away from their experience when they join Global Citizen Year? I hope that students and fellows with Global Citizen
1: Year come out the other side knowing who they are, why they're here, and how they're going to drive change at the intersection of their unique abilities what the world needs and finding a path that they're forging for themselves that holds social impact social progress people our planet their sense of purpose as their bottom line and that they have the resilience to overcome challenges as well as to counter the inertia and the sort of herd mentality that would funnel them into more traditional roles. We need a generation of leaders who are more representative of our diversity and who know their power, their power to do things differently in the service of building a future that looks very different and much better than the present.
0: And you talk about them driving change and building leaders. Where do the students go afterwards? Do you find that Many of them look at it like a so-called gap year and move on to college. Are they starting their own businesses? Are they joining family businesses? Are they continuing to travel? What do you see happen with your participants after their year? We have almost 2,000 alumni, and they are doing 2,000
1: different things. (laughs) Um, About half end up in the private sector, the other half split between the public sector and the social sector, Most end up in college as a next step, but I imagine that increasingly our alums will find ways to create their own higher education and to forge their own educational paths. I think the classic way that we've approached four years on a college campus makes less and less sense for many students. And so the one thing that I would say is in common is they know their why. They know that they are driven by a sense of purpose, that they are here to leave some kind of positive impact and that they show up practicing these leadership capabilities in whatever context they find themselves. So we don't define success as they all need to go out and be entrepreneurs or the head of major corporations. We hope that they're exhibiting their leadership and having the courage to do hard things and to drive change from wherever they find themselves. And we hope that becomes the common DNA, a common behavior set among our alums, wherever they land. And if we can seed a whole generation with that orientation, then the world really starts to move.
0: Have you looked at building your programs into high schools or colleges?
1: We have. And we're currently experimenting with our academy as a wraparound for the end of high school. And we've got some early high school interest where students are finishing high school, but they can enroll in this course that it's called leadership as a practice that helps their students reflect very deeply on who they are and and what they're looking for next as they finish the first part of their educational journey and then similarly we've had partnerships with colleges who provide course credit and preferred admissions sometimes financial aid for the experience and we'll be looking to expand on those in the future as well
0: yeah it feels like so much of what you're talking about with the real skills should be things that students should be able to get from the education system. And I think it's one of the big challenges that often education leaves untouched for so many. So I guess that brings in the bigger question of, you know, what do you really think is the purpose of education? Education and school
1: are not the same thing. And I think we conflate the two. The true purpose of education. I think it was Mark Twain had a a quote around making sure that we don't let our schooling interfere with our real education. And I think that the real education needs to focus on revealing the things that are uniquely human. We live in a world where automation and AI are changing the nature of work, are changing what jobs will exist. And the only way that we can solve the problems we need to collectively is by reorienting what we mean by education to focus on the things that are uniquely human. And it's really those real skills. Those are things that computers and AI will never be able to do. And when I think about the experiences that feel most important to pass along to my kids who are five and six, it's really about learning who they are and who they're becoming. It's about understanding their inner worlds as much as they can map the outer world and landscape and really finding their place with confidence at the intersection of the two.
0: Yeah, that's it's one of the things we talk about as an elementary school quite a bit as well is the advent of computers and automation and how much the world is changing and how cars can drive themselves and robots can do surgery. But we still need to connect together as humans. Yeah. And it's those skills of being able to communicate, of being able to understand, of being able to collaborate, all the things that the computers can't do that we really need to work to build and grow and really help our children to understand those parts of themselves and how to work and connect to other people. Those soft skills (laughs) are actually the really, really hard ones and the ones I think a lot of schools struggle with. Going back to something that you said about assessment, and there's no way to really test that knowledge, right? Once, you know, how do you test empathy? You know, how do you see if someone has reached what they need to know or if they've reached their leadership capacity? Like these are really hard things to do within the four walls of a school. What do you want to share that I haven't asked you already? What's kind of the next piece of this puzzle when you talk about the Academy and you talk about Global Citizen Year and we talk about growing real skills? What's the next thing that you like to share about the work that you do?
1: I have been fascinated by the history of the Peace Corps, that 60 years ago, John F. Kennedy issued this call to action for a generation that became the Peace Corps And when you look at the early footage, and there's a a recent documentary, and I'm just fascinated by how much sense it made in its time and how outdated a model it is for the 21st century. And if we were to issue a parallel call to action for a generation right now, it would come on the heels of a pandemic that has helped us all see that our fates are entwined, a climate crisis whose impact is already being felt everywhere on earth and a sense that literally and truly our shared future depends on our ability to connect across difference. And if we can't figure that out, that's it. We are all on the same team here on planet earth. We may not realize it, but we are all in it together. And so the call to action today needs to be compelling Gen Z to step off a well-worn path of high school to college and then a job that might be expected of you, and to actually have the experiences that develop these power skills and that equip you to be the kind of citizen who sees a sense of civic obligation beyond just your community, but in a global context and equips you to be a change maker and a leader wherever you find yourself. So we we have a vision of issuing that call to today's gen or next gen leaders um, and to bring together a coalition of partners of private sector, public sector around the world so that you could have a global exchange of young people where it becomes a common expectation that once you've finished your secondary schooling, you have an experience of yourself in the world that shapes everything that comes next.
0: That's beautiful. I remember the Peace Corps. I remember looking into it and thinking that it was something that looked like it would be really interesting to be able to do and be able to be a part of. And I can, I can see the ties and the correlation to the things that you're doing now and how that would develop changemakers and peacemakers and create volunteer experiences and Um, allow students to travel and learn new places and see new things that they maybe haven't had the experience for so far in their lives. And the original Peace Corps call again, it was of its era,
1: but it was primarily young white men going out to, quote, help the third world. And everything about that makes no sense in today's (laughs) world, right? We need to be recruiting a really diverse and representative cohort, not just from the U.S., but globally. And we need to be exchanging young people into roles where they're not helping, but they're learning. They need to be apprentices who are humble to learn from the places where they're having lived experience. And I also see possibility where this is not just a government-sponsored initiative, but it's actually a coming together of companies and NGOs and, and government support to say that this is the most important investment we can make in young people's education and preparation.
0: That'd be amazing. All of our countries, you know, could agree on one thing and all work together to make something happen for the betterment of all of us. I think it's possible. As I mentioned, I run an elementary school, and I love to hear stories of other people's times from when they were in elementary school. So I'm going to ask you to think of a story that happened when you were in elementary school. There are two that come to
1: mind. The first was I remember being in kindergarten. I was the White Rabbit in a play we were doing, Alice in Wonderland. And I had this experience. I loved performing. I loved being on that stage. And I had this, it was, I think, the first time I experienced my own sort of consciousness. But I remember clicking my eyes as though I could take a visceral photo of an experience I was having. And that has just stayed with me, this sense that we can capture a moment when we are fully present to it. And the second Experience that just jumps to mind is it was fifth grade and the teacher didn't show up. She was sick and somehow we didn't have a substitute. And my classmates kind of nudged me up to the front and asked if I could teach the class for the other fifth graders. And I was certainly not any further ahead of them in whatever the content was. But I did recognize, I think that was the first experience I had of leadership as a posture. Uh, not a title, but really just standing up there and saying, well, this could be me or anyone and and here I am. And so I'm happy to, to lead the class through the day. But that was quite empowering. And I've always remembered it as a moment where I, I saw what's possible when you just say yes to an invitation, even if it's before you feel prepared or ready.
0: Did you get to teach class for the whole day in fifth grade? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I
1: mean, it might've been like half an hour, but in my memory, it was a stretch experience.
0: It's a good reminder to say yes to things. I'm one of those people who oftentimes my knee-jerk reaction is to say, no, no, we can't do that. No, that won't work. No, we're already doing these other things. And I'm one of those people that then has to process it and come back and be like, oh, you know what? That was a good idea. We should explore that more. It's a good reminder to try and say yes more frequently and then go back and look at it. So Abby, how can people learn more or how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So our website, org has everything you need to know. If you are an educator, you can learn more about joining our network of educators who nominate students to participate in Global Citizen Year. If you're a parent, you can pass it along to kids you know or work with. And we will be launching applications for our 2022-23 program experiences later this spring. I see you were looking for mentors as well, increasing your mentors. We are. So professionals across different industries and sectors who are excited to work one-on-one with our students. It's a volunteer role, about five hours a quarter, and it's a terrific way to meet a bright young star from somewhere around the world and to share what you've learned so it can be helpful to them.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you everyone for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. UpacademySF.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators.